Welcome, everyone, to episode 106 of Some Like It's Scott, part of the Media Blog Podcast Network. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we will be talking about a movie we weren't even sure existed until we actually went to a movie theater. That's right. We went to a movie theater to watch it. That is, of course, The New Mutants. But before we get to that, with me, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, I know you have received some very good news today, so why don't you just go ahead and share it? You know, you always ask how I am, I guess, whenever you're doing the hosting for these episodes. And this might be the best I've ever been when you've asked that question, because the news came in. I've talked about it a lot on here. If you follow the podcast, you follow this part of the podcast every week. But I took the Bargs back in July and uh, under, you know, very stressful circumstances and uh, found out today that I did pass. So. Um, yeah, a, a lot of years of, you know, wanting to be a lawyer. I mean, I, since middle school, I, really, I, I've wanted to do this. And uh, it's basically a reality now. It's it's kind of surreal. It hasn't fully sunk in yet, but um, very excited, very relieved. And uh, yeah, it's it's a good day. It's one of the only good days that we've had or that I've had in, uh, in 2020, I guess it's probably fair to say. And you're rightly celebrated by going to see, I believe, Tenet tomorrow. Am I getting that right? I am. Yeah, no, I, I hadn't planned it that way. I mean, I, I bought my ticket this morning, not knowing when exactly the bar results were going to come out. I had some inkling it might be today. And then, uh, yeah, I got the results. And now, yeah, it does, it's definitely going to be a celebration. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Hopefully, it's not going to blow my eardrums out like this movie Borderline did at times. But um it should be a, a great experience. Uh, looking forward to, to seeing Tenet after all this time. Yeah, and I'm sure our most avid listeners of the podcast will appreciate that you have just revealed before we went on air that you will be watching Little Women for a quadrillionth time to celebrate <laughs> passing the bar as well. Yeah, all it all it took was like you mentioning it in passing, and I was like, oh man, I really should watch that. But yeah, no, it won't be immediately, but probably probably by the end of this week, I'll have. I'll have uh, partaken of round number eight for that film. So, well, good on you, Scott. We should yeah, uh, in in the in these moments, we really should appreciate the things that we have that we enjoy and love. So, you're not wrong. There you go. Speaking of appreciating things, uh, this really wasn't intended as the segue that it's about to be. But speaking of appreciating things that uh, we know and love, but no longer are with us, we did hear, of course, this past Friday evening that Chadwick Bosman, at the age of 43, did pass from stage four colon cancer. <laughs> Uh, talk about something that obviously he's been battling with and his family has been battling with and his close ones and loved ones have been battling with for four years. Uh, he started this fight in 2016, kept it very private. I don't know how many people uh, knew, definitely not public, maybe in the industry. I don't know if some people knew, but uh, he's been fighting this since even, you know, basically when he was announced as being Black Panther and now this past Friday did succumb uh, and, and lose that fight. Scott, just... I feel like I, everywhere on Twitter on Friday night and even over the weekend, I feel like a lot of tributes and love pouring out for someone who, not that he wasn't appreciated, but I feel like his, the appreciation for him has just skyrocketed over the weekend. And I think when you think about what he was able to accomplish in just the you know short 15 to 20 years he was even in really the industry, uh, it's really something special. I mean, he's obviously best known for Black Panther, 
but making his name and as other you know iconic African American and Black you know figures and and men uh, between Jackie Robinson and James Brown, Thurgood Marshall. Even though I didn't like that movie very much, he did portray Thurgood Marshall. Um, and I haven't seen Forty Two or I forget the name of the James Brown film. But I mean, yeah, overall, right. just an incredible actor. I mean. It, I don't it was, you know, probably pointless for me to bring up that I didn't like Marshall very much, but his performance was really strong and everything that he's been in in those types of roles uh, has been really strong. I mean, look, we, you know, we didn't love the five bloods and we were talking about this after after everything that happened on Friday night and we were talking about it and how he does have one more film in the can with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom for Netflix that's coming out later this year. And I really hope it, it does injustice and. You know, it would surprise me if he wasn't in the conversation for a nomination, whether it's for the five bloods or Ma Rainey's Black Bottom when award season come. And I think that would be, you know, justly deserved for the work that he's given over the course of his career. And it'll be um, it'll be interesting to see how the awards season handles that. But really just an incredible actor who uh, we appreciated, I think, in his in his time and all of a sudden, again, appreciate even more uh, after it's passed. Yeah, I mean it's it's such a shocking loss. I mean, 2020, man, it just keeps it keeps piling on. And you yeah. know, you think about like what you brought up there, like what not only at what he represented as an actor, but you know what he represented to the black community, not just for playing Black Panther, um, but playing all those iconic African American figures. I mean, uh, he brought like his his. It sounds weird to say say it like this, but like he brought his race to every role, and like he. He uh, was trying to yeah. uh, elevate black roles and black, you know, uh, culture with every single role that he played. Um, and so it is such a loss, especially this year, right? When you see what's going on with racial tensions in our country, you think about the fact that, you know, this year started off with another, you know, I- icon in the black community for, for a lot of, you know, black, black, uh, young black men, um, Kobe Bryant, um, also dying. Um, and it's just, it's, it's tough, man. Like as rough as, uh, as COVID and 2020 has been for us, for me and you, like it's been 10 times harder for our, our African-American, uh, friends, um, to have to deal with, you know, everything that's going on in the country related to racial tensions, losing these icons in the black community. Um, I mean, like obviously Kobe Bryant, Chadwick Boseman, they weren't, um, you know, race related deaths, but still they, you know, the whole, like, how do you tell your kids, right. That Kobe Bryant died. How do you tell your kids that black Panther passed away? Um, it's just, it's, this year has really taken a toll on people in the African-American community. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. There's nothing I can say that will, uh, that will improve anything or, that will probably fully express the the depths of of sympathy that I feel um, for uh, for the people who have had to to deal with so much this year in a year when all of us are dealing with a lot. They you know like I said they've had to deal with a lot more and this this is just the latest. He was you know very very talented actor. He really disappeared into whatever role that he uh, played, whether it was Black Panther, whether it was you know those those ones you mentioned, Draft Day, even you know he was Vontae Mack, but um, yeah, I, I think there's still a sense. I mean, you know, he was he was 43. He wasn't like a young, young actor, but there's mm-hmm. still a sense of like maybe his best work was still yet to come. Right. Like he hadn't he hasn't um, had he has he received an Oscar nomination for any? I don't think he has any Oscar nominations. Did he not for do you not for 42? I don't think so. Um, but 
you know, he, he had that feel of like, oh, it's only a matter of time before he gets one. Right. Um, like it, you still felt like possibly his best work was in front of him. I mean, obviously he had more Marvel films to do, but, um, you know, in, in other stuff too, like, you know, the Spike Lee film this year showed that, you know, he was really expanding, um, you know, his roles maybe a little bit. And um, so it is a shame that we won't get to see necessarily that potential acted upon, but look, he he made such an impact in just the short time that he had here and the short time that he had in the movie industry um, with playing Black Panther, playing all of these real life historical figures like he it, it's amazing what he was able to do in such a such a short amount of time. So it's very sad that he has gone so young. It's very sad that we'll never get to see the roles that he was going to go on to play. Um, but. I think, you know, looking at looking at the the full context of this, um, he did so much more in, you know, his 43 years uh, of life than than a lot of people are, are able to do. And so I think we also need to celebrate what he was able to to bring to the films that he was in and, you know, especially what he represented to the to the black community, because he may be gone now, but, you know, he's changed, you know, what what we what we think of as a superhero film, right? Like who, who can, who can play a superhero role? He has expanded uh, the field uh, and he's opened, open things up. We're going to, you know, see more black superheroes. There's, there's no, no doubt about that. It's, it's not a matter of if, but when, um, and that wouldn't have happened without Chadwick Boseman um, and what he did as black Panther. So uh, yeah, I think we should, we should be very thankful for the time that we, we had him. So. Yeah. I mean, has he entered, the filmmaking business in 2008, that was his first film. He's only been around, you know, making movies for 12 years. I mean, yeah, he was doing some TV shows before that here and there, but, you know, really blew onto the screen and with 42 and Jackie Robinson, that was only seven years ago. That was 2013. And so he hasn't been around for that long. And you talk about the impact he's made. I think it's really hard to think of another person who's made the cultural impact uh, that he's made. And, and, that almost feels weird to say it about him because like you said, it's not like he's gotten these sort of like, he's not Mahershala Ali or Samuel L. Jackson and like the number of awards he's been nominated for or received, but he's played these really, you know, like you said, iconic black figures, you know, Jack, it was get on, get on up as the James Brown movie. That was the film I couldn't remember the name of, but yeah, he doesn't have any Academy Award nominations. He doesn't have a golden globe mm -hmm. nomination. And, and it just goes to show you don't need to have those things. Cause what he does have is he has, you know, essentially a, a litany of, roles that mattered that mattered a lot and to a lot of people and to history and you know say what you say what you will about black panther whether it should have really the best picture nomination or not the film made over a billion dollars and there really aren't that many movies in history that have made over a billion dollars and the fact that a nearly all black cast with the exception of what um oh my gosh i'm martin for no was yeah. it martin freeman or Andy Serkis. Both, both. Yeah, they're okay, both in the yeah. film. But yeah, Martin Freeman and Andy Serkis. I mean, that that's the only members of the cast who who are an African-American, really. And the fact that he's actively and, you know, kind of hungrily sought out those roles. I mean, I feel like I've, I've read several articles talking about, even before all this, so talking about how he hounded Ryan Coogler to, to make Black Panther, to include him in it. And obviously when he was cast as Black Panther in Civil War, you know, it was inevitable, right? The reception that that character got. And I think you talk about there'll be black superheroes in the future, you know, whether there is uh, some already in the works or not over at the MCU, I don't know. But I think that Black Panther itself as a film is going to be a platform for actresses, I'd say in particular, like Letitia Wright and Lupita Nyong'o to potentially reprise their characters and be 
you know, yes, they kind of already are superheroes in the, in the sense of the world, but really take center stage in their own movie. I, I think that is inevitable that that will happen. And uh, again, Chadwick Boseman is not the only reason, of course, that that's happening, but he's certainly leading the charge. And uh, yeah, really, really powerful stuff, I think. Um, really makes you, like 2020 has consistently done, really makes you appreciate some of the things that you take for granted. And you talk about a year that's particularly hard hit. And that's true across the board. Not that years aren't, haven't been hard in the past for African-Americans because we're only really just shining a light on abuses that have been constant yeah. and unrelenting for even 50, you know, 50 and for over 50 years since, since the civil rights movement ended, you know, in quotation marks. And um, I think that Chadwick Boseman has been a, a big kind of, I don't know, almost like visual piece to like look at and point to and be like, this person is progressing, you know, the, the cause of, of black Americans in Hollywood for seven years. Since, since 42 and uh, i don't think that the impact he's going to have can be understated yeah no i i think that's about all there is to say honestly yeah well with that um <laughs> it feels weird we're not going to quite get to the new mutants yet because i do want to talk about one other thing and obviously this will segue into talking about the new mutants but that is the fact that we returned to theaters this weekend uh, we were talking we were recording an episode of the fincher countdown just uh just yesterday and i was talking about this there but the whole idea that you know if you rewound five months i'd have been like oh i'll be back in the movie theater probably in a month or two it won't be that long and then that how that has kind of seesawed the other direction and over the last six months and now if you'd asked me a month ago i'd have been like no way am i back in the theater you know august i forget what day it was that i was uh, 28th when i saw this film 29th and yet here i was two days ago as the time of recording watching a film in the theater scott and you know we chatted a little bit uh, after I'd seen the seen the film about what the experience meant to me, and I'll get to that in a second. But I'd love to hear from you before we actually talk about the film. What was it like to be back in theaters? Yeah, it was uh, it was something else. I I you know went to this film last night, Sunday night, um, and you know walking into the theater was weird, um, and you know seeing like the 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 person at the front, the usher, whoever, whatever it is, uh, with like their shield and mask and everything. Like when you go up there to get your ticket checked, I was like, uh, that was a little, a little weird. I mean, like the, again, there were, there were familiar parts about it, right? Like I get out of my car, I pull out my AMC app. It just felt like, you know, Hey, we're back. Uh, you know, I barely been away, but then when you step in the theater, you're like, wow, this actually has been quite a while. But I walked up and, and, you know, showed my ticket and the, the girl was like, Hey, you know, how's it going? And I was like, very glad to be back. Um, and that, yeah, I, I, I was, I, you know, I, I went to, to the IMAX screening cause I wanted to, you know, if the movie wasn't going to be good, I wanted to like get that full theatrical experience, right. Yeah. To, to, you know, Kristen being back in theaters and did have a little bit of a, a problem with people sitting next to me. They, uh, they were only sitting, they only left one seat in between me and them, which I don't think, like, I think you're supposed to have at least two, seats between you based uh you know for amc social distancing thing so i think they were in the wrong seats it did seem like they were having some trouble finding their seats they had snacks and they took their masks off to eat those which you know fine whatever but they didn't put them back on afterwards and so mm -hmm. i did have to move down a, a row in front luckily the theater wasn't too full but which you know makes me wonder why they didn't just move but obviously they didn't see a problem necessarily with what they were doing but yeah regardless other than that mishap um it, it was a good time. I was very happy to be back. I feel, you know, reasonably comfortable despite that experience with 
you know, going to a, to a theater and, and watching this, everything seemed very clean, right? Like, um, that was just a very rare circumstance where I ended up in proximity to someone who wasn't, you know, following the rules, but it seems like for the most part, the way that AMC is doing things, you're going to be able to separate yourself from everyone else. Everyone's wearing masks. Um, mm. And so I think, you know, I, I think it's fairly safe. I mean, again, the, nothing is a hundred percent foolproof, but um, I, I don't feel the same as I would, you know, a month or two ago about it. I think um, my viewpoint has shifted a little bit on the, on, on this whole thing. And I think if you are smart and you are careful um, and considerate, then you, you should be fine. Um, and so I, I'm going back to tenant tomorrow night, like you said, and I have been more strategic. I, I kind of chose a seat where uh, based on where uh, like seats were already blocked off and then where like based on um, where I chose my seat, everything else on the row would kind of get blocked off. So basically I, um, I should be good for tomorrow night in terms of staying away from most people. But I mean, yeah, it's, it's great to be back. Yeah. I, I had a similar experience of like, you know, I'm, I'm walking from my apartment across, you know, Beacon Hill in Boston uh, across the, you know, across the common, which was, that was actually one thing that was different. It was eerily empty for a summer Saturday afternoon, which is when I went uh, to the theater. The fact that there was just no one in the, in the park in the common was really strange, but thinking about the fact that the last time I walked across the park in Boston, uh, across the Boston common was literally 25 weeks ago when I saw onward, which is the last time I saw in theaters. And to think that I hadn't actually walked back across cause I don't, I don't walk that way unless I'm going to the theater was really strange. Um, so that, that was something that I was thinking about. Usually I'm listening to a podcast or something when I'm walking to the theater. Um, and I just kind of walked along in complete silence, you know, nothing, nothing playing. It was kind of a surreal, but also um, I, like, I don't even think it's oddly, but like spiritual experience to kind of go back and do something that, that I used to do once or twice every weekend, you know, for the last, what is it? I mean, almost, almost three years now. And to have that disrupted for the last nearly half year, has been something that I felt certainly I'm not going to say sit here and say I didn't feel it but I think I, again to hit the note of appreciation like when I was walking back across like back to the theater walking in I felt it again right like it felt familiar for sure but it also felt different in a way that was more impactful I don't know if that's the right way to put it but yeah going into theater I didn't have anybody any problem wearing masks they aren't selling concessions at at movie theaters in Boston mm -hmm. right now they're still banned from selling concessions which I, mean, I don't even know how the theaters <laughs> are making any money cuz they're not selling enough tickets. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think overall it was, uh, I, there was about 10 to 15 people in the IMAX theater, which Scott, I know you haven't been to, but I mean, this is like a humongous theater. So like to have 10 or 15 people in it is, is really tiny. Cause it's one of the yeah. 70 millimeter screens, uh, in the downtown Boston commons, uh, AMC. So it's a, yeah, massive theater. Very few people didn't have any problem with people wearing masks. There's no reason to take off your mask cause you can't have, I mean, they weren't selling snacks, um, or drinks. And so, yeah, it wasn't an issue at all. I feel similarly about how I think if you're smart about it, I, I'm trying to go to the first showing of a of a movie in the theater each day to limit the mm -hmm. uh, you know exposure, assuming that they are deep cleaning the theaters overnight, which they may or may not really be doing that effectively. But assuming that they'll be cleanest in the first showing of the day, I've been trying to go to the first screenings. I've been trying. To, I've gone to one movie. I, I went to the first screen. I'm going to an 11:15 a.m. screen of Tenet on Friday, which I have off for the Labor Day weekend, and I plan on essentially continuing the same kind of sort of tact moving forward. And I think that it'll mostly be fine. I mean, we were talking about this like tenant and 
Wonder Woman 1984 and then, you know, No Time to Die, which is an ironic movie title in 2020 uh, for when that comes around around Thanksgiving. I think that those movies are obviously going to be bigger. But I think for the most part, like other movies, we go back to the theater and see. I don't think there's really going to be many people there. I mean, yeah, Tenet's going to be like I said, the tent poles are going to be crowded like they always like you'd expect them to be, although less crowded than usual, I'd argue. But they're going to be more crowded than something like New Mutants or. You know, I was looking at going to see Burnt Orange Heresy last weekend. I didn't ultimately go see that, but there's probably like five, five people who went and saw that movie in Boston yeah. last weekend. Um, so, yeah, I think what you're talking about being smart about it, going, you know, doing what you can to um, like, yes, you are putting yourself at a little bit of risk or maybe even more than a little bit. I don't know when you're going to a movie theater and sitting indoors in these types of settings. But I think there are ways to be smart about it. And if someone's not being courteous, like staying and watching the movie isn't worth it. Just like leave the theater and demand a refund like it's yeah. that simple um amc has a policy for it like if someone's not wearing a mask in theater you can ask for a refund and they'll give you a full refund so there's lots of things and being smart about it is definitely the right way to go what about, but, if, the, what about if the movie is bad will they give you a refund for that yeah um maybe demand a refund from from disney i don't know yeah uh, <laughs> but overall i think just to go back to the spiritual moment like you know sitting down in the theater yeah, I showed up. I show up pretty late for movies at this point. I'm not trying to see the trailers, especially in certain days where I'm trying to limit the amount of time. I'm just sitting indoors with a bunch of other people. Um, granted, we are wearing masks, but still just trying to limit that. But I did show up in time to see, you know, the last trailer and most impactfully, just sort of like the pre IMAX videos they show you, like the the welcome to AMC, silence your cell phone, you know, IMAX films to the fullest. I don't know if they show that one at the one that you went to, Scott, but seeing all those all those videos again for the first time i was like wow it's i'm really back here in a theater like this is really happening like i saw onward on like march 7th or whatever day it was and now we're here like this is it and look like we'll talk about the movie just here in a second we've already been going 20 minutes but um i think that i will probably have an even better experience next weekend that is that isn't meant to knock the new mutants really at all but like i'm more excited about tenet than i ever was about new mutants and i'm really looking forward to uh to getting the full Christopher Nolan experience as as he so desperately has intended us to see the film over the last few months. Yes, indeed. I'm very much looking forward to tomorrow. Yeah, it's going to be a really awesome experience, probably. All right, Scott, and with that, why don't we talk about The New Mutants, which is the film that we have uh, seen this week and we are reviewing on the podcast today, a film that was shot back in 2017 and is... You know, some sometimes we use the term development hell to describe films. I think that is an understatement for what this film went through because it was completely shot back in 2017. But post-production on the film paused when the Disney Fox merger began. And obviously that took a long time to execute. And it was on the back burner to the point where everyone who was working on the film, Josh Boone, the editors, etc. They all had moved on to other projects. And then Disney, I guess, decides to hang on to the new mutants for some reason. Um, and they bring him back on, finish the movie. It had a release date, several release dates even, got pushed back, got pushed back again. And finally, August 28th, 2020, we discovered that The New Mutants is, in fact, a real movie. It did exist. There was a final cut of the film with completed CG effects and everything. And we got to see it. It stars Blue Hunt as the lead role here as Danny Moonstone, who is a Native American uh, who essentially is sort of whose community is destroyed by the in this open the opening scene by this sort of kind of tornado like um, being that even from the beginning is clear that it is not exactly a tornado. She wakes up in this hospital or what looks like a hospital for what the what the lead doctor who's played by Alice Braga. Her name is Dr. 
um, excuse me, sorry, Dr. Cecilia Reyes, what she calls uh, is a place for, for new mutants to be evaluated, to be rehabilitated, and then taken on to her superiors in, in air quotes there. And at this facility, Danny meets several other new mutants, uh, including Macy Williams's Rain Sinclair, Anya Taylor-Joy's Ileana Rasputin, Charlie Heaton's Sam Guthrie, and Henry Zaga's Roberto da Costa. And these new mutants all have various powers. I don't think any of them we've seen in the X-Men uh, movie universe, at least before. They're all relatively new. Uh, Danny's name, although you don't necessarily get in the film, is Mirage. Rain is Wolfsbane. Ileana's is Magic. Sam's is Cannonball. And Bobby, or Roberto's, is Sunspot. And these five mutants are kind of basically stuck in this asylum. They're trapped in by Dr. Reyes's powers, which is the ability to generate force fields that keep people inside. And there's a force field around the whole facility. They don't know who her superior is. And now that Danny has arrived, there's these real kind of fears and nightmares that these people are having that are coming to life, very much like Nightmare on Elm Street. And they have to start dealing with these things. They start to get to know Danny. They start to form relationships with each other and to varying extents. And those relationships are explored for some success, maybe, and, and maybe letdowns in, in others. But ultimately, they're trying to escape this facility or at least understand what's going on, whatever that means, Scott. And I'll leave the introduction to the film there and just ask you, The New Mutants, it's a real movie. But Scott, is it one that we needed to see in theaters? Is it one we needed to see at all? Or actually, is it quite a bit better than all this development hell might have suggested? Yeah, I mean, look, last year we had an X-Men movie around this time that everyone said, look, this movie is really bad. Um, and that was Dark Phoenix, of course. And I we went into that with low expectations and both came out, I think, a lot more positive than the, the general consensus. So going into this, I was like, yeah, of course, I know about all of the problems that this movie has had in, in getting released. We often have joked about it here in the past, but like, I'm not going to put too much stock in the reviews. Like this thing is 98 minutes long. It has Anya Taylor-Joy, one of my favorites in it. I'm going to be back in a the theater. Like it can't be that bad, right? It's pretty bad. Um, to be quite honest with you, I, I, I joked often during quarantine about how I was, the hunt was going to end up being the last movie that, I ever saw and how depressing that was going to be. I think if this was the last movie that I ever saw, that that might even be more depressing than seeing the hunt for the last movie. Cause uh, this, this didn't, did not do, do much for me. I think uh, unlike with dark Phoenix, this, the reviews probably got this one, right. Um, and I think this movie, I think it just shows right. That this movie was in development hell for so long. Cause it doesn't really know what it wants to be. Like, is this going to be some kind of, I mean, was this supposed to be some kind of origin story at some point to like kick off a series? Is it was. This, it was supposed to be a trilogy yeah. of movies. Yeah, right. Yeah. So like, I mean, and you can see that in parts, but also like, you know, there's all this stuff about, hey, hey, this is the last X-Men movie like to come out. Um, even though, of course, we know that they're going to be back. The last of the Fox X-Men. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we know that they're going to be back in the MCU probably in the next few years. But um but so it, 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 it's it's in a very confusing place of like what it wants to do with the characters. Obviously, now we know like that there's not going to be any more of them. Um, and so it's it's kind of like I, I don't really have much incentive to like care about these characters or, or get invested because I'm, you know, I'm not really going to see them again. And like, you know, yeah. it's it's the first movie in what was supposed to be a planned 
you know, series, like you said. So they set up things like and and they would probably have paid off on those things if we had gotten more movies. But like we're not going to. So what you're left with is just kind of met. Um, yeah. What, and, what you're talking about there is it's like all, all these sort of backstories of all these characters yeah. right? that you get a little tease of and definitely no payoff on any of them. <laughs> um, but no. Yeah, go ahead. And obviously. Um, this was like kind of built all along as like, oh, this is going to be a horror take on a superhero, or like this is going to be a horror take on X Men, and like we see that at times, right? But I feel like they just don't go far enough with it, and part of that is that it's a PG thirteen movie, right? Like I just don't think that PG thirteen horror, if it ever worked, I don't think it works anymore. When you talk about like the horror movies that are really you know, that are really achieving a lot over these these past few years. You talk about, you know, the Jordan Peele films. You talk about Ari Aster films. You talk about what Robert Eggers has done with The Witch and the Lighthouse. Like, these are disturbing R-rated film. Like, they're, they're doing things that you can only get away with in an R-rated film. And that's why they're effective to, to some degree, because they are disturbing us in ways that we haven't necessarily seen before. But the yeah, and they are, frankly have something more to say than yeah, friends oh, are yeah, good. Of course. Um, <laughs> friends are good. Of course. But with the PG-13 horror film, it's like there's only so much you can do. right? There's only so far uh, that you can go. And so we kind of end up with the same like goblins and whatever, you know, ghouls that we can pull out for our, our out of our PG-13 bag of tricks. And that's that's going to be our horror elements in the film. And I, I just don't think that they work very well. There are some cool visuals in the film, um, but like, it's not scary. I, 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 again, I just don't feel like they leaned enough into the horror film to make like, to make it the sort of interesting spin that they were going for here. As far as the performances go, I think they're kind of all over the map. I, I do think that Anya Taylor-Joy, unsurprisingly, is the standout. Like she, she, um, Whenever she made this movie, she was having fun. Um, I don't think that uh, she ha is having fun with it anymore. I was curious. I went back and looked at her Instagram, and she has not posted a single thing about this movie over the weekend. Uh, like, in fact, really, wow. In fact, she has been posting like she was posting like over the weekend nonstop about this like new chess movie that she's going to be on Queen on Gambit, Netflix. Or yeah, that had a trailer yeah. come out. Well, so she, it's almost like not only is she not posting about New Mutants, but it's like. I'm going to post about a movie which is probably better and which I am more interested in and care about more. I, I think hold your horses. It's a Netflix film. Wait, wait till you see yeah, it. First. That's, that's fair. But I think she cares about it more at this point in her career is, is all I was going to say. Ma Maisie Williams yeah. has done some press on this. So, um, she, you know, she's, she's definitely been the one out there standing the film. Yeah. Uh, but like, I think Alice Braga is pretty weak, honestly, as Dr. Reyes. And, and I agree. I think her character is very weak. Um, and well, you don't really know what this character is at all, really. Like, she's just a doctor here that is a company man, yep. basically. Yeah. And so that's that is a very weak element of the film. I didn't really care that much about the relationships between the characters, because, again, beyond Anya Taylor-Joy's character, I didn't really like connect with any of them all that much there's like a couple of different like romances that they try to set up that I was just, again, those, these are things that you might expect to pay off in another movie, but also at the same time, I feel like they were very rushed um, in, in this movie and um, did not have anything near the impact that they could have and should have had. Um, and so, yeah, I think this, this movie is probably what you expect it to be. I understand now why it took so long to get, made and released like it's just not of the quality um that anyone was probably hoping for and um you know this is 
this is very much a like if 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 it needed to be released at all, it's a straight to streaming. Like this should have just gone to Disney Plus, in my opinion. Like, yeah. The, yeah, yes, there are some cool visuals or whatever, but like you're really not gaining anything by you know releasing this movie in theaters. Although, I mean, maybe they are right. Like this movie topped the box office, whatever that's worth in these weird times. And I, I doubt it would have topped the box office at any other time in which it was released. Um, so so maybe they have that going for him. But still, like in terms of the quality of the film, this is a streaming quality film. This is very much on the level of what we have been watching the past two or three months. And um, so that was, I guess, a slight disappointment, even though I wasn't expecting, you know, X-Men first class or anything from this. Yeah, I think I think I enjoyed it a little bit more than you did. Maybe I certainly think the film is just fine. Like the, at, at best, this movie is fine. I like where some of the characters are going. But again, I'm I'm right there with you saying you don't get really much of a payoff for any of these central new mutant characters. And look, like Danny, who's played by Blue Hunt, like no offense, but like she's not that good of an actress. Like she she cannot be the main character in this film. When she's when it's just her, when it's her and Alice Braga, okay. But like when she's with Maisie, Maisie Williams, Williams or Anya Taylor Joy, like the disparity is clear. <laughs> Uh, also, I, I also think that's that the I forget actually off the top of my head who plays Sam, who plays Sam yeah. in this. But I thought he was really good too. Charlie Charlie Heaton. Heaton. Yeah, yeah, Charlie Heaton. I thought he did a really good job as Cannonball. Uh, again, you're not getting much payoff for the, like you get one scene about these backstories basically, and you're not getting much payoff. So there's not a lot of work to be done. But I liked that character. I thought that that actor, again, Charlie Heaton, did a pretty good job. And then, yeah, Maisie Williams and Anya Taylor-Joy are going to be the ones that, that stand out a little bit more here. But because I wasn't super invested in in Danny, I didn't actually care that much about the relationship that was developing between her and Rain, which is Maisie Williams's character. And really, the only person with an interesting backstory that gets explored in any meaningful way is Anya Taylor-Joy's character. But this childhood trauma that she went through with these, you know, very, I mean, these look like mutants themselves, right? These smiling men that are played for more horrific effects because uh, when, when they take their masks off. Right. And so I, I think overall this, this film, look, I think it has a lot of potential. That is a movie that fell short in almost in, in most, if not all departments, which is a huge, it is disappointing. Right. Cause I mean, that's, that's the type of movie that's the most disappointing when, you know, a horror take on an X-Men dude, that's like a great idea, Absolutely. but you have to do it. <laughs> you have to do it. You can't, you can't halfway, halfway do it like they did here and i think a lot of that does speak to what you're saying is you know if you're going to tie someone's hands a director's hands who's a horror director who wants to do something horror related and tell them they have to make it pg-13 there's limitations with what they're able to do and you're absolutely right on saying successful horror movies in the last you know two three four years those aren't pg-13 movies and that means that that's because they are not they, they, they don't have to shy away from making these really gross metaphors that have something really meaningful to say. And I'm not saying that X-Men, you know, could ever really captures those types of themes, but if you're going to at least be a good horror movie, you got to be able to do some real horror things ultimately. And yeah. that's not, and that's not ever going to be palatable to Disney. And you bring up Josh Boone, the director. I also feel like he probably wasn't the right choice for this. Like if you yeah. look at the other two films he's done, you know, stuck in love, fault in our stars, these are like coming of age films. Right. And, this movie yeah. i mean the, ro the romance between up. danny and rain felt like a false exactly yeah this this very much has coming of age elements in it yeah. but it feels like you know the the studio is like hey we want to make this a horror spin on x-men so he's just like okay we'll throw in a few little things here at the end like some some yeah. goblins and whatever to make this like a horror movie but really what he wanted to do was have like a 
you know, coming of age movie where these people just happen to be mutants, which maybe would have been just as interesting as like if they had gone full blown horror. I don't know. But the sure. result, the, the resulting amalgamation is not something that is satisfying. Look, Disney, if you want to make an X-Men horror movie, which I know that you don't. I know that you don't. But just give me <laughs> just hear me out. Give Lee Winnell an R-rated X-Men movie and just let him do some work. I guarantee he's you he'll be able to come up with something He's deep good. in the Universal Monsters now, but yeah, there yeah. there are other names. You Yo, say, the, yeah. the mouse has money. I'm sure they can pry. I'm sure that they can yeah. pry him away from Universal. Yeah. Uh, no, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I'll, also his buddy James Wan is deep with Warner Brothers, so I don't think that either of them are going anywhere near Disney, but we'll see. Maybe one day. But Disney's again, Disney's not interested in that content. They're not interested in doing that type of that, that, that type of media. So how about Christopher Landon, the guy who did Happy Death Day? He could have done it. And that'd been fun. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. So going back to the going back to the film here, I think that there are some nice moments, and I and again, I see a lot of potential in it. Um, but it doesn't deliver. And ultimately, like when the main character is someone I don't care about, it's going to be hard to sell me completely on the film. But yeah, like you said, I think I think that there's some cool visuals. Good on Disney for finishing. You know, giving giving Josh Boone and the people necessary here to finish making the CG effects uh, to get the job done and get the movie out because those were cool. Uh, yeah, and ultimately. Were. They could have just killed this thing, right? But they they pumped a few million dollars into it, I'm sure, to make. I mean, they'll probably make like 15 million dollars in this movie overall from the box office. Not that much. I mean, it did 10 million opening weekend, and there's not much runway with Tenet coming out, I don't think. Um, but anyway, yeah, good on them for finishing it. And and with that, I think we can kind of move on to some of the more specifics. Like the the cast is pretty tight here. This isn't an ensemble cast. There's like five characters, and that's about it in the film. There are the mutants that, that we've talked about already a little bit. And there is the doctor who we've also already talked about. Scott, I have a feeling you're going to steer clear of Dr. Reyes here. But what did you think of the new mutants? I mean, some of these, obviously, you said Anya Taylor-Joy is your favorite. And you have some other ones that you think work overall. But but what are some, maybe some elements, right, of these characters that worked or showed promise? And then maybe some elements where they failed more. Yeah, I mean, okay. So, I mean, like the, the male characters, like Charlie Heaton, I guess, I mean, he seems like he's an okay actor, but like, you know, the character is absolutely nothing. Like his backstory, like the, the character, the backstory to this character, like literally is he's from Kentucky. Like that is the character is that no. he's from Kentucky. There's a lot um, more to it than that, but yeah. I wouldn't say a lot more. I, th I think that uh, there's, there's not, not a ton of substance to this. He was a child working in the mines and he got so agitated by his claustrophobia that he, shot off in a cannonball and killed his father and everyone else on his crew. I think there's more to it. Yeah. I mean, they but. spend about two minutes on that, but sure. That's um, what I'm saying. I see the promise there, right? There's like, pro like that is right, an interesting right. backstory that they don't do anything with. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I think that that was, you know, that was disappointing. The other, the other kid, uh, I, I Bobby. Know. Oh Roberto. yeah. That, that's the actor's name. Yeah. Roberto. Um, no, Bob, no, Bobby is the, that was his nickname. Yeah, nickname. yeah. 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 Um, he, his whole thing is like, okay. Yeah, I can't be intimate with someone because I get too hot and then I catch on fire. Come on. Like that, that's just kind of goofy. Um, but, but like Anya Taylor joy, right. She, she is, I, I mean, she's clearly head, head and shoulders above everyone else to me. Like just her, her presence on screen, just kind of like, you just want to watch her when she's on, on screen, which probably wasn't quite enough. I did. I was afraid at first that she was going to be like a genuine, like supporting role, but she's a she, she gets more screen time than that. But, I like her character. Like she's doing a Accent's kind of terrible but... all over the place accent. Yeah. It's, it's not the greatest, but like that kind of adds to the charm. You know, like you said, she has Lockheed, the like little stuffed bird or whatever. Um, dragon. Dragon. Yeah. 
eventually dragon but uh that ha they have a little rapport going on she's a little bit you know she ha she has an edge to her i just think she she's so much more captivating than everyone else like Maisie williams yes you can tell that she has acting ability here but boring character i i'll be honest yeah. with you not not very interesting character um and uh, you know, I want to whole... see an adventure film with Macy Williams and and Ani Taylor Joy's characters as like these like two adventurers going together because yeah. I feel like they they are so such different like personalities that I think that there's like a lot of potential there. But the way that they often paired up these characters in the film, maybe this to your point, it's just like man, this isn't interesting. <laughs> she had this weird like background involving a priest who like slapped her or something and and no, so that's branded her. her fear. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's her fear. And, but then, like, most of her character seems to be, like, again, through this romance that she has with Danny, which is just so half-baked. And, like, oh, my God, yeah. Uh, I mean, it happens like that. Like, literally, <laughs> you you know it is going to happen because there's, like, one little scene where they're in, like, the common room. And she's watching a show on TV. And there's two females that, like, start kissing. And that's, like, the that's the Harold, they're lesbians moment of this movie. Like, you know where this is going. And it goes there, like, three scenes later. And I was just, like... Wow. Okay. Um, they could have really done something though with that, and like, like we don't. That, that's not really seen in 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 superhero and comic book films. But like, there's just nothing to it. You don't. There, there's no spark between the actors. I guess is what I'm trying to say to make the very short time in which this whole thing happens believable. Um, and so that kind of makes me come out, you know, uh, pretty cold on both rain with Maisie williams character and on on danny also because i think that the actress was was not the strongest compared to a lot of the people on screen and then with alice braga like i said also a very boring character like a villain problem big time you don't know anything about this character really you don't know any that much about her motivations um and unless and, you've watched a bunch of X-Men movies and read some comics, you probably don't even know what the Essex Corporation even is. Yeah, and we won't know anything more about her. So I think that that was just a very throwaway part and throwaway character. Well, yeah, you get her bloody boot at the end of the movie. That's all that's left of her. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I think that I, I'm I'm more hot probably on Charlie Heaton here. I, I think that he is actually, again, there's a lot of potential there, and I think that he just didn't have the chance to show that what he's doing is actually pretty interesting. I think, right? Like the fact that he doesn't get it. And and I know just because I read into more about this is like the next film in this is like going basically are these kids like going and confronting their past. Like you're talking about getting the payoff in the next movie or the next two movies. Like that's, that's literally what they were planning on doing with the films is having these kids confront their past and, and the things that eventually had them arrive yeah. you know, at this facility. And so to, to think about that and be like, you know, Ultimately, it's probably a good thing we're not going to see any more of these films, but uh, a lot of the narrative problems I had with the film beyond just the script being not very good um, is that it, like a, a lot of the story beats didn't get payoffs and the ones that did get payoffs, I didn't care about. So that was a weird moment there because I'm with you here, like this romance between Ma like Maisie Williams. I haven't watched all of Game of Thrones. I've watched a couple seasons. I like Macy Williams a lot. I haven't seen her much. I'll be interested to see if she gets more film opportunities coming out of this because she hasn't really been in any big movie. Uh, if you even count this as a big movie, I don't know. But uh, she hasn't been in any other big film projects, but obviously Game of Thrones is a huge thing for her. And she's been crushed. I mean, she crushed it there for a decade almost, right? Or maybe literally a decade. I don't know. Yeah. So Long time. clearly got a lot of talent there. And I think that she will be destined, if she wants to be, to, to go on to other film endeavors 
I think she has a lot of potential. I mean, people, this isn't a film thing, but I mean, she was on the short list forever for playing Ellie in the last of us uh, show. So we'll see if, if she ends up in as sort of a, a contender for that type of role, but I hope she gets other types of movies. And I was going to say, and her accent is actually quite good. I just, that was my question. I was like, why are they doing weird accents? Like why, why does Macy Williams have to do a weird act? I mean, I, maybe it's something from the comics. Like, yeah, why does, they, these are real characters. These aren't made up characters. Yeah. So. I, I don't know. It just seemed like, why is Anya Taylor joy doing this goofy Russian accent, but it's better than not having her in the movie at all. <laughs> Yeah, but it'd been better if she just didn't. Uh, right, that, yeah. that accent was distracting. But yeah, Annie Taylor Joy is the best. I mean, M- Macy Williams again. Like I think she's really good, but the character because of the way they positioned it in relation to Danny, uh, it d- didn't it didn't do enough for me. And frankly, like not only was Danny's character not interesting, is that I do think I, I don't want to be too harsh, but I do think that she's the worst actress in the in the film. I do think that that Blue really uh, yeah. did not do a good job in this one. Um, I don't think that you will see her in in anything big anytime soon, unless something really changes. And her uh, and her test screenings and stuff like that, and uh, her 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 game tape, so to speak. But that's okay. She's still young. She can she can grow and she can improve. And maybe you know, five ten years from now, we can see her and she'll have made some big improvements. I think that's the best that she can hope for there. Doctor yeah. Reyes, yeah. I mean, might as well just not have had a villain at all. Honestly, I don't even know what the point of it was. I mean, yeah, like it, it's such a throwaway character. Like I said, yeah. So lots of potential in the characters. Uh, I wonder, Scott, if you think there was a lot of potential in the story and whether any of that followed through on it. Uh, I've already openly just said that I think the script is pretty lame in this one. I don't think that it does itself any favors with some of the writing. And uh, not only is the performance a bit, some of the performances, especially from the lead again, a bit flat. I think the some of the lines are pretty flat too and not having very much to work with. You've talked about how you don't think a story geared around a PG-13 horror kind of element is ever really going to be effective in the way that it can you know tell the story it's trying to tell but are there other elements of of this movie we've talked about the relationship you know we've talked a little about the action set pieces are there other parts of this film that you know strike your fancy in a positive or a negative way to talk about yeah not really i mean the whole like discovering their powers thing i guess is part of this but like i don't think like we really know what their powers are like I didn't really understand Anya Taylor-Joy's powers until like the very end of the movie. Like, you know, she's pulling out like her lightsaber or whatever. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, I, didn't, I didn't know this was a thing that she had. I didn't know this was a thing that she could do. Um, it just seems like very all over the place in terms of conveying what exactly their powers are. And then, um, yeah, as far as like Danny's arc goes, I think the way it wraps up is so strange. Like the fact mm. that, she has like this little vision or whatever. And her dad shows up for like two seconds and she's like, he, he's like, Oh, they're fighting like the demon bear thing or whatever. And he's like, yeah, she, she goes, Oh, the, it's very, it's big. And he, he goes, you're bigger. And oh, she's yeah, like, Oh yeah. Okay, cool. And then she just wakes up and she just walks up to the thing and is like, no, no, stop. And like, that's how it, that's how it Bad. is. Like the bear just quiets. I mean, that's literally what it is. Down. And the bear just quiets down and that's the end of the movie. And I was like, what? That's the most anticlimactic thing ever. So I didn't really. Look, Scott, like, you talk all the time about you, how you don't like superhero movies devolving into who can punch harder. And this is the way they got around. It. Yeah, that is true. Just who after can, a scene of the bear punching harder, who can be a more gentle tamer of animals. But like they don't do anything. They don't do nearly enough to like make you care about the whole thing with her father to where like the his appearance or whatever yeah. matters or even really makes sense. Um, and so that just was a missed opportunity for me. Um 
and yeah, you know, like like you said, the, the, some of the fight scenes are cool. Like I I like the when they're fighting the bear at certain points when Anya Taylor Joy is using her sword and dragon and all that. Okay, fine, cool, whatever. Um, there's some other visuals that are okay, um, like some of the stuff involving uh, Sam's character and like him shooting around and everything is is kind of cool to look at at times. But yeah, he's cannonball. But yeah, that that uh, a few you know nifty visuals do not a good movie make um and this is a good example of that i think the story what story is there is is just not interesting centered around um you know uninteresting characters and is a lot of setup that we're not going to get any payoff for so yeah yeah fun fact about magic which is uh which is again on taylor joyce character iliana rasputin younger sister of colossus in canon cool doesn't care at all yeah <laughs> no. no i mean her powers are definitely also the most interesting right like or at least more complex the fact that she has this ability to transport herself into limbo and then out into other spaces and i think there's a lot goes unexplored there uh she has she's a sorceress in that dimension she can only use magic while she's in limbo i think it's an interesting thing and yes she has this sort of soul sword that she can turn her arm into that isn't really explained at all it's cool but again there's not necessarily much there in that and and you're right like this whole some of these subplots that i that i said were pretty either you didn't basically you either didn't get closure on some some plot beats or the ones that you did get closure on weren't satisfying you don't get closure on any of those backstories that i thought were pretty promising and pretty interesting and the ones you do get closure on which is pretty much all the ones related to danny i just again like i don't care i just don't care this character is not is not engaged me enough for me to care about this and the tough part is and i don't know it's just it's just the way that she you know, whether, I don't think it's entirely on, you know, Blue Hunt either. I think this character is just not written in an interesting enough way. Because um, I think there's a lot she could do with this whole, like, Native American angle and having her, you know, be, be from a Native American community that's been shunned by society and going from a society where you're shunned by other people, by, you know, you know, Americans, and I don't know what the right way to describe that is, right? And to a society where you're a mutant, which is also shunned by, you know, the average citizen. I think that they could have done a lot with that. Right. And that's not the direction they went with the character. Instead, they went with, you know, finding something to live for that's not your dad. Like, I just don't even know what they were doing with it. Um, and I, I, look, maybe it would have gotten better again in, in the sequels, but we'll never know. No, we won't. And I I don't think we're missing much if I'm being quite honest with you. Yeah, well, I feel like we haven't done this movie enough justice, so why don't we go scene by scene? And t- I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> let's enter. Let's go ahead and enter wrap up phase now, Scott. <laughs> uh, what's your favorite scene or moment? Oh, that is a good question. I guess there's kind of a, a good scene. I kind of like the scene in the pool. Um, again, that that could have that showed maybe where this would have gone if it had been a come like just a straight up coming of age movie a little bit like the you know the the whole intimacy thing with the one kid and. He gets in the pool with Anya Taylor Joy, and then, but what? Uh, but not Anya Taylor Joy, though. Right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Because it's Mirage. Yeah. Yeah, which again is another thing that isn't really explained that much. But like Nightmare on Elm Street, baby. It eventually becomes clear that it's it's a projection or whatever. But yeah. um, you know, then she turns into a demon, fights him or whatever. He's on fire. They kick him into the pool or whatever. I mean, it was kind of an interesting sequence where they where they combined the you know discovering powers with like the kind of coming of age romance type uh you know thread in a mildly successful way so i'll I'll give them some credit for that i guess yeah look that's absolutely right and i think going back to the potential for an x-men horror type movie right 
this idea of, well, one, the setting basically being an asylum like setting. Yeah. And then two, you have these young mutants who are discovering their powers. They don't really know what they're capable of. I think these ideas of like discovering your powers is it can be this really terrifying thing, right? Like this can be something like, let's look at dark Phoenix, right? Like the, like discovering, you know, the dark Phoenix and that power, right? Like Jean, the Jean Grace power and that to that extent, I mean, that can be used in a horror like way. And I think when you have these really young mutants who don't have, have the ability to really control their powers necessarily, I think there's a lot of potential there. And I think that again, you're making a good point around, this is an example of discovering powers because Roberto is very, secretive about what his powers are right he doesn't want to tell other people and we as the audience and obviously also the other people and that he was there with and the other the other mutants discover his power in this way and i think yeah it's it's done to good effect in that scene what is my favorite scene i mean look i guess it's like the i guess it's the anya taylor joy moment right when you have her fighting with Loki the dragon you get the full cg effects because look like came to the movie to have some cg effects right it's a freaking x-men movie like where where are my effects at? Where is my big fight scene? Uh, and you know, look, it was a good enough fight scene. I, I don't think it punches above its weight at all, but it was a couple good moments in there. And really, I think I'll, oftentimes, I'll, if they're not a big set piece, the the good moments of a film come down to the script for me. And I just really think the this, this script was really lacking. So I don't I don't know if I have you know many other good moments that really yeah. stick out. And that was. Part- that was probably part of the, I mean, that was probably the main weakness of Dark Phoenix as well. Yeah. Um, but they did have some, at least sort of interesting themes going on there. Definitely. All right, Scott, let's put the score on it. What are you giving New Mutants? And it also had Michael Fassbender shedding that single tear, which I still haven't forgotten. But uh, 4.0 for New Mutants. This movie, uh, not very good. Definitely not a, not a great welcome back to theaters. But, uh, you know, we're, we're back now and the best is yet to come. I certainly think there's a lot of space to go up. I mean, I, I did look on the calendar and notice that Rise of Skywalker is not the movie we're watching next weekend. So I think that it will get better. <laughs> so deep breath. Take that. Um, anyway, yeah. So I'm, I'm actually not that much higher than you, it turns out, but I'm giving it a 4.5. It's fine at best. There's really no, there's no moment in this film where it really takes off uh, in cannonball speak. So that's that. Yep. That will conclude our discussion. When we get back, we'll be talking about some recent casting news across a couple different projects. Welcome back for part two of today's episode of Some Like It, Scott. A couple bits of casting news for us to cover uh, today and I'll start first before we get to yours, Scott, and that is, of course, that Paul Mescal has been cast uh, following his, you know, breakout performance, his Emmy-nominated performance in Normal People. He has been cast as a as a I, I can only imagine a relatively minor supporting role in Maggie Gyllenhaal's directorial debut called The Lost Daughter. We've talked about this film on the podcast before because the cast on this man is stacked, which is what makes me think that Paul Mescal's role has to be relatively small, all things considered, because this film is also starring Olivia Coleman, Jesse Buckley, Dakota Johnson, and Peter Sarsgaard, just to name some of the top bills in the cast. And Scott, I think that we were already excited about this film. I mean, I certainly was. I think we, we both were, and just because of the cast and what we've seen sort of actors making their directorial debuts, i.e. Olivia Wilde last year. I think it has a lot of potential. And yeah, I'm very already was looking forward to this and looking forward to it even more now. Do you think this is the role that will 
essentially allow Paul Mescal to break out into wider film after his, of course, limited series breakout, Normal People. Maybe. I mean, look, as you say, I don't know if it's a, a major role, um, but maybe it will be a more substantial role now that he has been cast in it, right? Now that someone who is a known commodity has been cast, may, maybe this was like a, you know, a, a bit part or something on paper, but now that they've got Paul Mescal, they're going to, they're like, okay, maybe we'll write him a few more scenes or something. Um, yeah. I, I could easily see that, that being the case, but yeah, either way, I think just being a part of a project like this is going to to help boost his profile, which is a good thing because obviously he was very, very good and normal people were both, uh, you know, huge fans of that series. Uh, and it's just another reason to get excited about this film. Like you said, the plot is an interesting setup and they believe it's based on a novel. Um, and, you know, you have that that cast, like you said, you have uh, Dakota Johnson and Olivia Coleman and uh, Jesse Buckley. I, I got to say, like, you know, people may not have seen Wild Rose, but like Jesse Buckley is getting the roles that, you know, you, you would hope for. Like she, she people are recognizing her star power, which uh, just as a side note is, is good to see. I mean, obviously she's going to be in I'm Thinking of Ending Things next week. She's got this one coming out, a couple other things, I think, in the in the pipeline. So that's good to see. But yeah, as far as Paul Mescal goes, I'm glad, right? Because when I watched the show, I said this at the time, like it, it kind of felt like, these two roles are this are the type of like oh they're so instantly like iconic almost that like are you ever going to be able to see these people are you ever going to be able to see him and Daisy Edgar Jones outside the context of this show and outside the context of these characters and I think this will be a test to see can we see Paul Mescal without seeing Connell Waldron right uh, because that uh, it, it is that type of of role in normal people that he plays but uh, I'm optimistic he's he's really really good um, and yeah I'm, I'm rooting for him for sure. Yeah, I mean, he certainly was great in Normal People. I'll reserve judgment on whether he'll be able to translate that to other things. But I'm certainly, certainly optimistic about it. And uh, yeah, Connell's chain. Hopefully it'll be making an appearance uh, in The Lost Daughter as well. <laughs> Absolutely iconic, iconic role for a necklace. So yeah, look, I think that I think you're absolutely right. Like, there's no reason to pay Paul Mescal dollars to get him in this film if you're not going to write more mm -hmm. scenes for him, right? Because yes, he's not done anything big in terms of film. And he has this one project that success. But he's got an Emmy nomination, and so you're paying more money for him now because he has an Emmy nomination. Totally. So there's really no reason to throw money at the at Paul Mescal uh, just to get him to do a bit part. They have to be writing a scene or two more. Whether or not those scenes will make you know make it off the you know make it out of the editing editing bay, that's another question. But uh, overall, I think they're going to want to include him more, even if it still is just a supporting role. And I'm excited for it. Totally. All right, Scott, tell us a little bit about yours, uh, your bit of casting news here. I think it's something to do with Ethan Hawke. Yeah, uh, another movie that already had a stacked cast prior to this casting news, but yeah, definitely a bigger name than Paul Mescal being added to uh, the cast. And like you said, that is Ethan Hawke is going to be joining The Northman, which is the new film from Robert Eggers. Mentioned him earlier, director, of course, of The Witch and the Lighthouse. Um, and this is going to be his Viking epic, um, which, yeah, is not, not necessarily a phrase you hear uh, used very often. But, you know, if anyone is going to make a Viking epic, if you said to me there's a Viking epic coming out, who do you think is directing it? Robert Eggers would probably be in my top three guesses, uh, if not my number one guess. Um, I'm very curious who your other two are. I don't know. I'd have to I'd have to think long and hard about that. I could I mean, Ari Aster, maybe. But like, uh, yeah, I, th I think this is definitely up Robert Eggers alley. But um, you're just picking the A24 horror people. You, you got to be more creative than that. Yeah, guy. because who else is going to make a freaking Viking epic nowadays? Except James Wan. Yeah, right. Okay, sure. Um, Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah, 
I don't think Michael Bay would like that. I don't think you can get away with pyrotechnics in like a uh, in a Viking movie. But um, oh yeah, you can. I'm sure, they had yeah. Molotov cocktails. Michael Bay can apparently get away with anything. But um, anyway, this should be an interesting movie. Um, it is set in Iceland at the in the start of the 10th century. It's going to be kind of a revenge type movie. Um, but like I said, stacked cast already. You have uh, Alexander Skarsgård and Nicole Kidman reuniting from uh, from their wonderful relationship on Big Little Lies. <laughs> Bill Skarsgård. Oh, that, that one got me. <laughs> yeah. Bill Skarsgård, Willem Dafoe, uh, Klaus Bang, who I believe was just in the Dracula series that you watched, Scott. Uh, and is in the Burnt Orange Heresy. Yeah. Bjork is going to be in this because, of course, she is. And also, uh, the aforementioned uh, Anya Taylor-Joy is also in this. So um, Anya for everything. Hashtag. Great cast. Yeah. I mean, and obviously, she she has worked with Eggers before in uh, the witch he he's worked with uh defoe before in the lighthouse so he's getting some of his old cronies back here along with you know some some new much new bigger ca- cast cast members yeah no this is that's what i was going to say this is by far his you know you'd expect going to be his biggest project his most i mean the lighthouse obviously like people people saw it like it was it was out there people knew about it the trailers were you know kind of eye-catching it did have two you know known actors in it but this is going to be you know, probably his his biggest movie yet. Most money, I imagine, that he'll be getting for a film. Biggest, you know, most expensive cast. Probably most. Expensive Are they building story. their own lighthouse for this movie, though? I mean, they literally built their own lighthouse. They're going to build lighthouse. their own fjords because it's yeah. set in Iceland. Yeah. Uh, I think that's that's what they're going to do. But no, uh, yeah, this this should be awesome. I, you know, I keep talking about the lighthouse. I still haven't seen that movie. Yeah, um, I was going to call you out actually in a second. Yeah. You're so excited for this film. You haven't even seen that. I don't, I don't know. Like, it doesn't seem. You know how much, I feel about it. I've talked my, about it yeah, it doesn't seem like as much up my alley as The Witch. I, I do really enjoy The Witch. Um, it, it is a movie for the art house bros. Let's put it that yeah, way. Yeah. And I don't always respond to that. I mean, I like some art house movies for sure, but like when it's yeah. just art house for art house's sake. Which is That's kind how of the vibe me. I get from the lighthouse, but yeah. a lot of people love it. A lot of people see value in it, so I definitely need to give it a chance someday. I definitely will before this movie comes out. But Look, uh, I yeah, love it, good cinematography. But when you're literally doing like not sixteen by nine, but like nine by sixteen, like format or whatever, it wasn't nine by sixteen. But like when they're basically doing vertical format, like you know, you're going all out for. He's it, the progressive know? rock band of of directors. He's like making songs in weird time signatures for absolutely no reason. But um, basically. Yeah, no, but but this should be interesting. Um, I'm guessing it'll probably be A24 again. Um, he seems, you know, Viking, have, a Viking epic at A24. Who else is going to pick that up? Yeah, exactly. Uh, look, I talked you into it. Um, but there you go, The Northman. I'm I'm not obviously. that excited about this film. I'll be honest. I didn't like okay. The Lighthouse very yeah. much. And, you haven't um, seen The Witch, have you? I haven't seen The Witch. Which I don't know movie? if it's my type of horror movie, but I probably should see it. Uh, I've heard only good things about it just from mm. people. But yeah, look like Robert Eggers. I wanted to like the lighthouse. I really did. But man, that film, it just made me want to beat my head against a wall, um, which is maybe the point. I mean, or beat, beat a rock against a seagull, maybe, right? Uh, beat a seagull against a rock. I think is what you mean. Is that, is that how it works? Robert Pattinson again, obliterates Pattinson. a seagull. He grabs a seagull out of this like, well, and yeah. just beats the living tar. Okay, the other way around, but yeah. Okay. That was a pretty brutal scene. I laughed out loud during that scene. That was like my uh, Willem Dafoe. Just speak, speaking of, of similarities there, Will, Willem Dafoe in in uh, Grand Budapest Hotel when he throws the cat out the window. It's just like I just laughed out loud at this very shocking act of violence, um, which family. probably was inappropriate, <laughs> but whatever. Yeah, look, I, I, look, it has a great cast, right? I want to be excited for it, but I think with the lighthouse, just like. I don't know, Robert. I maybe I should watch The Witch. I think if I watched The Witch, if I liked it, I'd, I'd be a little bit more optimistic about it. But after seeing The Lighthouse, I'm like, man, I don't know if the films you're making are for me. Yeah, uh, I mean, and like I, uh, 
I did. I kind of hit the ball. I didn't even really talk that much about Ethan Hawke, but yeah, he he is he is joining. <laughs> yeah, you the do cast. like Ethan Hawke, don't you? <laughs> yeah, I I am a huge fan of him. At first, reformed was a twenty four, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, so obviously, he just had a, a big success. You know, maybe the most acclaimed performance of his career um, for what he did in first reformed. He was getting a little bit of Oscar buzz. Not um, the before trilogy. I mean, it's it's up there, but I feel like I don't know. First reformed people really came around. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, obviously I'm a huge fan of him from his work with Richard Linklater um, on Boyhood, on the Before Trilogy. Um, and, you know, just just other projects that he's been in. He's he's a very strong uh, screen presence. And I'm glad that he is, you know, doing some interesting stuff that he's he's getting in good with the A24 brass. Maybe again, like you said, he had a breakout with uh, with uh, First Reformed. Maybe this will be another opportunity. I mean, you'd expect him to have a major role in this um, for him to, you know, continue a good hot streak. He got nominated for an Academy Award for Training Day for Before Sunset. Yeah, which was yeah, 20 years ago now. Yeah, that's true. He didn't get nominated for Before Sunset. Oh, well, he got a screenplay nomination for Before Sunset. Yeah. Oh, that's right, because he helped write it. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, he didn't get it for Boyhood, but he did get it for First Reform. So, yeah, maybe First Reformed. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it is most acclaimed role. He did get nominated for Boyhood, though, right? Did he? Oh, I didn't think he did. No, I'm pretty sure he did. Oh, yeah, he did. For that would have been actor. absurd if he had not been. No, that's right. Because we were I... talking about the other day. It was supporting actor, and and obviously, um, J.K. Simmons had that dead rights. Right. Yeah, yeah. 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 But yeah, yeah I mean, that would not my time. Got nominated, but you know that uh, that would not be past the Academy. No, no, not my time. Not my tempo. Not my tempo. That's what it is. This whole thing out. <laughs> leave it in. Oh man. Oh, I gotta, well, we'll see. Maybe I'll leave it in. Maybe I'm feeling generous. Leave this part in too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I think that's it, Scott. Anything else you want to add about that? Uh no. Cool movie. Yeah. All right. That should do it for episode 106 of Some Like It Scott. Uh Scott, I normally ask you, do you have any parting thoughts to leave us with today? But instead, I'm just going to again kind of have another moment here for, for Chadwick Boseman. Uh, I guess I put, I'm putting you on the spot here. We didn't talk about this beforehand, but what's your favorite Chadwick Boseman performance to wrap up the episode? Yeah. I mean, I guess I will go with black Panther. I actually haven't seen like a lot of films, you know, I haven't seen Marshall or get on up actually, but, um, I, you know, I do think that black Panther is, is a really great and, you know, innovative and revolutionary movie for the MCU. I do like his role in draft day as well. It's a small role. You know, that movie is no classic or anything, but it's fun for what it is. It's it's a lot better than you would expect a movie about the NFL draft to be. And he has a very important role. Like he's the he's the draft pick. Uh, he's Vontae Mack. Um, and so I I think he he, uh, you know, is strong in both of those films. And, you know, I am sure I, I know enough about what he does in in Marshall and especially Get On Up. I think Get On Up is the movie that most people feel like he is probably his best performance what he does is james brown but i know enough about what he did um in those movies to think yeah he was probably really magnetic in those 42 was just okay for me but he does give a really good performance in it yeah yeah i mean black panther is always going to be the iconic one for me because that is i mean because of civil war right because i guess that would have been where he first appeared in the mcu right. uh i mean that is the role that i think really catapulted him into the spotlight, uh, you know, this much broader spotlight outside of even, you know, the black community that we're talking about with roles from 42 and get on up and Marshall. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's the one that, that sticks out for me for sure. But, you know, I've seen my, a handful of Chadwick Boseman films. I've seen Marshall. I saw 21 bridges. You know, those aren't going to be movies that I think that 
he's going to be remembered the best for, in my opinion. But um, for what I've heard of get on up, especially, I think, I think you're spot on there. I think that is the performance that people talk about as being sort of the, the best one of his career. But, but my Scott, like I said, my hope, like I said, at the beginning is that I really hope that Ma Rainey's black bottom. I don't know how big his role is in that film, but I really hope it's, a, a really meaningful and powerful send off for. I mean, for... I I think it will be like this is a very acclaimed play. I know. I mean, it's August Wilson, right? Who wrote Fences? Um, yeah, and... it's Viola Davis too, who was in that that production as well. Yeah, I mean, like, look, Fences. You know, people said it was, you know, basically just like watching the play uh, as <laughs> that a movie. play won Tonys. So that's good, fine. Good on yeah, you. <laughs> I, I really did not care because when you have Denzel Washington and Viola Davis up there doing, you know, a, t- a Tony winning play, like. Sure, I'll I'll watch the heck out of that. Um, and so I think this is probably going to have the same type of feel to it. Yeah, I think he's one of the main supporting roles in that film, if not the main supporting mm-hmm. role. Um, I know Viola Davis is playing Ma Rainey, but he's playing, I think, the, the main supporting role there. Or maybe even it's a lead role. I'm not sure. I don't know that much about the play. But yeah, I, I hope it's I hope it ends up being my favorite performance of his. But that's that's where I will leave that with. Yeah. All right, Scott, where can funny people people find you on Twitter? At Scarby Dent. And I can be found at, at Shelton2013 over on Twitter, where you can also find our podcast at, at Media Plug Pods. You can also subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the episode notes. And don't forget to check out our podcast Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Media Plug Pods. Check it out for yourself and pick the tier that's right for you. If you choose not to support us or you can't over on Patreon, that's totally fine. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcast, where we'd appreciate if you rated and reviewed as well as subscribed and shared so that we can continue to reach a broader audience. I've said enough. We really appreciate all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to us chat about movies. And we'll be back next week with a brand new episode, not of Tenet, because our fellow co-host of the Nolan Countdown, Jay Habib, probably won't be able to see Tenet this week because he lives in New York and New York theaters are still shut down. But we will still be back next week with Charlie Kaufman's newest film. That is the Netflix film starring Jesse Buckley, who we just talked about in the news segment. And that is... I'm thinking of ending things. Until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. 